Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. I'm very pleased today to welcome Odin Mullenbein to the podcast. Odin is a partner at Ashoka Germany and lead of advisory at Ashoka Globalizer, an accelerator that aims to leverage Ashoka's network of social and business entrepreneurs and global reach to help social entrepreneurs develop strategies for social system change. So thank you very much, Odin, for taking the time to speak today to Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs. Thanks for the invitation. It's great to be here. Great. So can you tell me a little bit about your background and uh, the work that you do and, and, and indeed the focus of the Ashoka Globalizer initiative? Uh, gladly. So personally, I'm a philosopher and a logician by training. Uh, that's what I studied. Uh, I also started a couple of ventures on the side um, as, I, as I did my studies. Uh, went to consultancy just briefly for one and a half years and then switched over to Ashoka, which is a global network of social entrepreneurs. Um, within Ashoka, more specifically, I joined the Ashoka Globalizer program, um, which is an accelerator program. And we help social entrepreneurs from around the world um, to develop impact strategies that uh, have a very peculiar aim, and that aim is to achieve some sort of uh, system change. So instead of just growing a venture or even replicating an idea, we want to change a social system that is responsible for some sort of social problem. That's the whole idea. Right, right. So the globalizer part of the title, um, is there some uh, implication that in order to do that or, or uh, maybe to best do that or where you're most interested in focusing, that a global focus is important? Right, so that's a legacy issue. Uh, we're actually debating maybe changing the name. Um, the program started eight years ago based on a simple idea and that was um, there are no market forces to help spread social innovation. So when you have a business innovation, it usually spreads very fast because you can earn money with it. But that's not true in the social sphere. And so we, we thought about ways to maybe help successful ideas spread nonetheless, like even without this kind of vehicle. And so the initial focus of the program was indeed to help social innovation spread across borders. Um, this is still something that we could include in our strategies today, but the, sh the focus has somewhat shifted. Uh, instead of going broad in terms of other countries or global reach, we now zoom in on the system and how that should be changed. And that can often be on a national level or even on a regional level within the state. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, my experience talking to social entrepreneurs is as they grow over time, their concerns do become more uh, broad and they move from the, their own organization to the community they work within to broader urban or regional developments and so forth. And there's a natural progression and indeed a natural uh, increase in levels of complexity uh, as that proceeds. Um, and I'm interested in this this uh, question, I guess, of, you know, system change. Uh, there's a lot of talk about it now. It seems to be an idea which, which uh, people are uh, increasingly interested in. And I guess in some sense, all social entrepreneurship probably, or most of it is in some sense uh, about uh, system change, uh, or is that a, a fallacious idea, Odin? Uh, 
I think that is a bit optimistic. Um, I mean, in the it could be in the sense that uh, that everything you do in the world has some repercussions in some system or another. But that is different from very explicitly trying to change a social system as the goal that you have with your organization. And I think in this more uh, in this more narrow sense, in the sense that you you build the organization with the goal to change a social system, that is actually only a minority uh, when you look at at the whole field of social entrepreneurship right now. Um, and. And so this recent discussion about system change is very like exciting for Ashoka in particular because um, it's, it's one of the central ideas of our organization ever since the organization was founded more than 35 years ago by Bill Drayton. Um, Bill was looking for social entrepreneurs that do have a potential to change a social system that was inherent in the idea of being a social entrepreneur. It's like for us it's the same thing. But then the term uh, was used more and more broadly. So now, like everything that is a business and does some good seems to be included in this notion, um, at least sometimes. And uh, and that's something like we, in a way, we want to reclaim the term social entrepreneurship to include this goal of system change. Great, great. Can you talk, talk about, can you give me some examples of organizations that you think uh, highlight or exemplify this approach as distinct from, as you say, just the broader um, uh, term, which includes, as you say, many, many other uh, ideas. So let's see. Um, so many entrepreneurs are working, for example, on the issue of deforestation. Um, and what you might be doing is just go to a country where you see deforestation happening and then you start an initiative where that, that focuses on planting new trees. And that would probably count as social entrepreneurship nowadays, uh, just because you might be earning some money with it um, and you're planting trees. Now, um, ideally, a systems entrepreneur would be doing something different, which is they would try to prevent the trees from being cut down in the first place. Um, and so, like an Ashoka fellow like Nicolas Metro, who also went through the Globalizer program a couple of years ago, uh, like looked at the systems that are responsible for deforestation and one of the systemic drivers that he identified was that there are actually no, no real incentives to, uh, to keep forests alive. Like you can earn money with cutting them down, but you can't really earn money with keeping them alive. And so he was looking at value chains that could be built around living trees um, rather than like, you know, mitigating the damage once the trees were cut down, he was like building value chains so that local communities had an incentive to preserve the existing forests. And that is a system change because now the incentive structures have changed. Um, you, you don't have to mitigate or you don't have to treat the symptom of a problem anymore because you prevented the problem from occurring by looking at the systemic drivers that were responsible for the problem in the first place. Right. Now, how well developed is this kind of thinking? I mean, I know that uh, systems thinking general generally has been around for some time and is a very powerful way of uh, looking at um, exactly that systems change um, and is, uh, you know, coming out of various sci sciences and um, climate change and so forth. I'm just wondering with respect to social entrepreneurship and that particular focus that you're talking about how, how where are we with that idea now how how uh, to what extent will a social entrepreneur who's who's motivated to try and deal with a particular problem think about the possibility of, of, of taking a systems approach 
Um, well, so first of all, um, these these people, like uh, when you take the typical Ashoka fellow, they they will have engaged with a problem that they try to solve for many years, and so there's a lot of implicit knowledge about the su the systems surrounding the problem. Um, what we try to do at the Globalizer program is we try to help them put these thoughts on paper in a structured way. But we don't actually teach them anything new about the systems. They are already system experts in a way, but they might not, you know, they might not be thinking about it in system dynamic terms or whatever the academic literature has to offer in that field. Um, and, and also we are human, right? So every human being is a systems thinker. We are very, in some ways we are already like naturally very good in, in when it comes to thinking in systemic relationships and dynamics. Um, and then what we can do or what we can take from, uh, from academic fields like system dynamics is some tools and, and thought frameworks and like, like technical things that make it easier for us to turn this existing expertise and this natural ability to think in systems to develop very robust strategies. Um, and here we are really lucky in the field of, of social entrepreneurship because basically we didn't have to develop anything. We can stand on the shoulders of giants um, who did all this work and development um, for other fields like ecology or climate change. Um, I mean, like an, an academic like Donella Meadows uh, didn't really have social entrepreneurs in mind when, when she developed all, uh, all her papers. But we can use the same things uh, for our work now, which is great. Great. And now I, I'm not entirely so. So you, when when people come to the Globalizer program and you talk about helping them, you know, put their ideas down on paper, but you're also saying that there are systems dynamics ideas. Um, are, are you are you saying that they come and they already are familiar with these? So what it was? So can you give me an example of somebody bringing a project to you? and how that project got developed and, and, and how the Globalizer program, in a sense, or the ideas underlying it, supported that? Uh, sure, so we, um, when it comes to the, the impact that we have on the participants of our program, there are really like two major areas. Um, one is a better, a stronger focus, so which should result in more peace of mind. Um, and an example for that would be a current participant, uh, Andres Robiano from the social enterprise Meditech. Um, Andres is working in the trauma uh, care systems in the Andean regions. And when we started the process, because he knew the, the trauma care systems in, in that world region so well, he had like a lot of candidates for system changes that he might have pursued. Um, and that is, of course, a, a much too like too broad of a focus to really achieve something meaningful. And so we started with like four or five different potential system changes, and we narrowed it down to one. So ideas could have been to, for example, um, let's see. Let, now I have to remember what exactly was on the table, but um, we were thinking about. Um, expanding the existing capacity, for example, of firefighters so that they would see themselves as um, trauma, uh, like first first aiders when it comes to trauma patients. Or we, we were looking at maybe expanding the, re the rehabilitation phase of the trauma care system so that it would include social and psychological rehabilitation or leveraging the community around the patient. That would have been a system change. And then we looked at maybe introducing new standards and protocols um, for medical procedures 
and for the handovers between the different steps in, in that care path. And that's what we finally landed on. So you have this whole range of system changes that, that this Ashoka Fellow could have pursued, but then we looked at them, we evaluated them, and then we landed on just one of those. And now it's much, much easier for Andres and his team to see what he should be doing and what he should set no to, because it's not within the focus of, uh, of his strategy anymore. And that creates focus and peace of mind, ultimately. Yes, yes. So h- how many uh, organizations have you supported and uh, over this time? Oh, I don't have the, the exact numbers, but uh, so a rough calculation would be we do three groups of participants each year, uh, maybe 13 uh, social entrepreneurs per core, that's 40 per year. We've been existed for, what, seven years, so that's like around 300 social entrepreneurs who went through the program. Right, right. Very. That's a, quite a quite a quite a substantial number um, that have kind of taken this focus on the on the the systems and uh, change side of things. Um, now, can all social entrepreneurs um, embody or embed ideas of social social and systems change within within their their what what they're doing? Uh, I believe that yes, they can. Uh, it's just a matter of how you approach and see your work. Um, not everybody does it, but everybody has the potential to do it. And ultimately, it's a matter of um, ambition and willingness to do so. And there might be good reasons not to do it, by the way. Like it's not like every social entrepreneur should be a, should be a systems entrepreneur. Yes. Just imagine that everybody is changing the healthcare system and nobody is treating any patients anymore. That would be awful. So what what we are trying to say is that if you are in a good position to change a system effectively, um, then by all means consider that as an option and, and be aware that this will require a different approach to traditional you know, growth-based um, social ventures, but, but do it. But, but then like not everybody should be doing it. We, we still need 95% of people um, delivering good services in the social sector. Yes. But like five percent should be looking at the at the systems at the very least, and um, so what what would be helpful? So ideally, you know the system very well. So if people um, come to me and I ask them a couple of questions about the system, and they are like they are not very sure, like how big is the problem, who's involved, who's relevant, and if they can't really say that in their sleep, um, then then it's almost already clear that they might not want to work on the systems level at this point um, in their development at least. Yes. Another thing is you probably want some sort of credibility so that you have you can bring people um, together. Like system change almost never happens because one organization is just achieving it like in this kind of, uh, you know, there's the hero, there's the social entrepreneur and now they change the system, watch him do it. Like that's not how, how these things work. And so you need to have credibility to, to get people together. Um, another thing is you, you probably want some sort of, uh, you want to have identified something that can actually make a difference in the system. Like you might have some social innovation that you want to spread, you might have a new standard, you might have a policy recommendation. Like there needs to be something that, that would ultimately actually make a difference. Otherwise you don't have to bring that much to the table. And so there are different things that you can develop if you want to have a systems impact. But but you can, like everybody can make uh, contributions on that level. Yes, I, listening to you speak there, Odin, I, I, I think of the, the well, I don't know if it's the law of unintended consequences, <laughs> but um, you really do have to have a deep understanding of 
system dynamics to, to be able to think uh, second order, third order types of changes. And um, I, I guess, as you say, you know, the, the, this is requires different sets of skills. And it's always struck me that uh, for social entrepreneurs operating in a particular uh, area, that having a good understanding of the, the status quo, that there are forces in place that um, produce the the outcomes that you see when you arrive in a particular you know community with particular water problems or things like that um, and uh, I, I guess that just I'd be interested to get your views on 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 how to think about that and the dangers I guess of of um, as you say there are lots of people uh, you know th- thinking about or trying to to play around with the system but actually these are you know very complex Often. Oh yes, that's a very important point. Like, um, and I'm afraid that there's no. So what can you answer to that? Basically, it's um, it's reflection, iteration, and humility, right? So, um, because we are dealing with complex systems, we need to be aware that we probably won't be able to foresee what what our actions will lead to in terms of consequences on a systems level. That's just not within our grasp because the complexities are just. Yeah, they are too immense, especially when you look not only at a particular system, like, I don't know, like the, the rural water management system in Mexico might be something that you can actually grasp and describe, but that system is, of course, connected to all kinds of other systems, and so whatever changes you make to that system will have repercussions, and it's, it's hard to see what those will result in, but you, what you can do is to, to be cautious, to to see what is happening as you interact with the system, to adjust your approach if something maybe goes in the wrong direction. Um, and you can always question your approach. And that is that already goes a long way to, to prevent some of those unintended consequences. Oh, wow. The other thing is, and here we can again be, be using um, existing research from other fields. Like there are some some patterns when it comes to unintended consequences that you, that you can just go through as a sort of checklist. So. You know, I'm changing an incentive structure. So yeah, I can basically play out how the new, how the players will now react to that new incentive structure to make sure that there's nothing um, that goes in the in the wrong direction. Or, for example, we had a great discussion with another Ashoka fellow, Candice Paris, who founded an organization um, called Truckers Against Trafficking. Um, Candice did a, a great job um, mobilizing truckers in the U.S. to be uh, witnesses against human trafficking activities on the highways. Now. If you if all if all you do is make it harder for the traffickers to get um, humans from A to B, then you might not you might that might lead to unintended consequences, right? Because you 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 make it harder, so the risk for the traffickers increases. That means that prices are going to go up, which means that for the masterminds um, behind it all, there's an even bigger incentive to do the trafficking. So, like. As you and so what what we ended up with in this kind of discussion is that we would like to enlist the truckers in this scheme in a way that also reduces demand for human trafficking services. So not only are these truckers like um, additional pairs of eyes on the American highway systems, but they are also engaging with their friends um, to talk about the the evils that come out of human trafficking, the prostitution, why it really shouldn't be done, etc., etc., and that then, in combination, has a much better effect um, compared to just making it harder for the traffickers, because that could go the wrong way. 
Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. And to what extent, how important is it to bring together different parts of a system? So I, I, I've spoken to uh, many social entrepreneurs that have been involved in community-based initiatives uh, of various kinds and, and working in conservation, for example, with local communities. And they've had tremendous results with communities they wouldn't necessarily think would be thinking about these questions but once they were brought into the process um, they had a tremendous results and there's some kind of synergy by bringing different parties to the table at, 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 at even at a very simple level but just being able to hear each other's perspectives and to bring on board you know different ideas at that level yeah this is absolutely crucial and it, it's true on every level of uh, of systemic change like on the local neighborhood initiative just as for the global uh, climate change coalition like um if if you don't do that basically what's happening most of the time is uh, you know there's this story of a group of blind people who are all examining an elephant yes and, yes. and one is touching uh, the tree and says oh this must be uh, or is touching a leg and says oh this must be a tree and another one is touching uh, the trunk and says oh this must be a snake and that this is actually happening like this is not just a stupid tale this is actually what you get when you don't reach out um, to the other players in the system to get their perspective. We need to be really careful with that. So, And that's also what we tell the fellows um, who go through the globalizer process. Like, take what we are developing here as a first hypothesis and then like put it on the table for all kinds on like with all kinds of different people in your ecosystem to see what they have to say about it. Because chances are that even with your with your vast experience you will not have like looked at it from all the relevant angles. And so, yeah, do do like reach out and talk to other people. Yes. Now I've spoken to some uh, writers or academics or people involved in training in various ways, social entrepreneurs and, and the term solutionitis has, has come up <laughs> where, you know, rushing to find solutions. Um, and of course we all do it, you know, uh, somebody describes a situation to you and in it, the broad outlines and you can start to see, well, you know, what about this or what about that? And, uh, and it is a critique that has been made that, that uh, amongst social entrepreneurs there can be a tendency sometimes to 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 not spend enough time really trying to understand the the way the system acts at, at a very basic level or not a basic level so much as you know before before getting involved and to what extent are you the, the people that are coming into your program is that something that you're you know really sure that they've had really in-depth experience and that they've been involved in these systems for real periods of time that will give them meaningful understanding of the system yes and I, first of all I completely agree with this uh, with this diagnosis of what's happening uh, way too many times I call it a quick fixitis so it's basically I, and I call it a, a, like a mild mental illness even like it's almost like you see a problem and then and then your monkey brain takes over and you jump to some sort of solution uh, it's like it's like an, a, an involuntary uh, leap of leap of thought like as for many other psychological illnesses and so that's how it needs to be treated I think um, and what we put against this quick fixitis is, is our medicine and, and the medicine is a five-step process so when you see a problem like just pause like don't don't jump at any solution um, recognize the monkey brain as it gets going and just say okay yeah we, we come to that just wait a second and so the first step is to to describe the problem. Then the next step is to to look at the systems that, that drive the problem and the interconnections between them. 
the third step is to pick one of those systems and, and say, okay, if we changed it in a particular small way, how would that help alleviate the problem uh, that we started with? Then, uh, then the next step would be what we call a system change journey. So what are the steps that we need to take to achieve this, this one small systemic change? Uh, and who would have to be involved and whose voices would have to be heard and with whom do we have to sit and on the table uh, at the table and only then after you did all these steps then you are allowed to talk about potential solutions but even those are in, in um, like in quotation marks because chances are that even in this kind of coalition framework you will get it wrong the first couple of times and so you have to iterate and iterate until you get it Yes, yes. Now, is there such a thing as viral social change? <laughs> and to what extent, um, I, I, I don't really want to take the example, but I know there are, uh, there are, there are books now about uh, creating sticky uh, softwares or things that, that, that people want to spread. And, and there's a whole, uh, I mean, I know Malcolm Gladwell talked about this in The Tipping Point and, and memes getting spread and so forth. But when it comes to social change and improving improvements, maybe micro, small micro improvements within a social system, is that something that you uh, get people to think about? And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, in fact, we, we try to actively engineer uh, these kinds of dynamics sometimes uh, for certain types of strategies at least. So, um, so the, this idea of a tipping point is very crucial. Like you, because you can, if you want to have an impact on a system's level, then you can't go to every person who is somewhat somehow part of the system and and change something there, right? You you need to kickstart a dynamic that takes care of itself to get to where you want to be, and so. Uh, so you actually have to rely on virality in many cases to some extent, but you, you have to be careful. So um, this, for example, the tipping point can be anything, right? So the tipping point point can be one percent. If you have one percent on board, and there is nothing stopping the spread of this idea, then you might already have one. Um, in other cases, the tipping point is fifty-one percent, like when you have you know the the success to be successful kind of patterns where the winner takes it all. Then, then you need to put your idea as in the position to be a winner, to, to have like 51% of market share or, or mind space or whatever you want to call it. And then it will take care of itself because then it will conquer the remaining 49%. Sometimes the tipping point is 99% because you have, you are in exactly the opposite position. Like if, uh, you're, you're like the, the opponent idea, uh, the, the one that you want to get rid of, can spread again if you don't take if you don't eliminate it completely. Like getting rid of um, of illnesses is such an example. Like the tipping point is ninety nine point nine 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 percent. If there's more of the illness remaining, it will just keep spreading to where it was before. And so, like when we talk about virality and using it for strategies and tipping points, we need to move away from this idea that we need to tip fifteen percent and then we have it. Yes, that yes. That seems to be the magic number in many articles. And that's just not true. You need to understand the dynamics behind it. Yes. And then deduce the right tipping point that you need to achieve. That's very interesting. And to what extent is that possible? To what extent can you calibrate to some degree some of the, these, the, 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 these tipping points? 
Um, well, there are some patterns, and you can look for like you can look for them and see. Okay, is it is it this pattern or is it that one? And that gives you some clue as to what the tipping point would be. But as always, um, like you might find some aspects of a certain pattern here, and then another one there, and they are linked, and so you never quite know, right? But but at least you can make some educated guesses, and if you do that you will almost always already do much better than if you just take the 15% as your starting point. I think there's an interesting idea for a book there, Odin. <laughs> these, <laughs> these, these, these different patterns as you talk about and helping to just clarify what they are. And as you say, they can be mixed as well. Now, I'd like to talk about funding uh, aspects oh, yeah. of, of, of uh, uh, systems entrepreneurs uh, in, in this sense. Um, now, uh, funding is a is a tremendous challenge for all kinds of uh, all kinds of organisations, but particularly for social entrepreneurs. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, and I know that it, within some kinds of categories, it can be quite difficult to to pin down exactly what kind of the results will be. So you might be providing a software that supports some organ set of organizations, but the, 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 the being able to map out the impact of your software on uh, in a meaningful way can be very challenging. And I know organizations like that can face tremendous challenges, uh, even greater challenges, raising funds. I'm wondering when uh, somebody comes along and says, well, I've got this project, um, you know, for large scale systems change. Um, how how does that go with funders and what are some lessons and insights here about how to bring funders on board for that kind of vision yeah this uh, this is just this is the crucial topic probably um and it's it, it pains me right so the following thing happens way too often we develop a strategy for system change with an ashoka fellow he now becomes ready to open up his scheme, uh, sit together at the table with others, etc., etc. And then they say, yeah, we, we have the coalition in place, we know what to do, or at least we, we have a hypothesis that we want to test. There is just nobody who understands it and would give us money. And and that is just, yeah, it's so critical. I mean, um, there are some... There are some foundations, especially in the US, I feel, that are moving in that direction, it has been for a couple of years. like. Uh, the typical candidates, right? The Hewlett Foundation, uh, McConnell, Rockefeller, uh, Co-Impact is the latest example, like this, uh, the collaboration between Bill Gates and Rockefeller and others who want to invest $500 million in system change initiatives. And we hope that with these initiatives, there's going, like, it's going to create a dynamic within the donor space to focus more on this idea of system change, because right now it's really, really difficult. And like it doesn't even it doesn't really matter what kind of initiative you have in mind. Like it can be the global, like sexy even from a donor perspective coalition that's hard to fundraise for. But it's also the the national level education system improvements and like yeah, it's it's just hard because you don't have you are not working with a thousand children that you can take pictures of, and that for some reason seems to make it really hard to give money for it. Like it's another thing might be as you mentioned the the uncertainty, right? So you're engaging with a system and it might work or it might not work. And and that seems to be a hard thing to swallow for many funders. Like this, the risk appetite doesn't seem to be that high when it comes to systemic impact. Um, and yet another might just be that, that many um, institutions in that field are just not thinking on a systems level right now. So um, what they are asking for in many cases is just, so how many people are you going to help and how deep is the impact going to be for those people? And then you say, 
we don't know. Like we we in, we improve an information flow in the system. It's probably going to help, but we don't know like to what extent, how many people, you know, that we are going to see. <laughs> but chances are that it's going to be much more effective uh, compared to helping a thousand people directly. Yes, yes. Well, one, two, I guess critical bottleneck right now is something that um, uh, needs needs action. Because um, as you say, if, if these entrepreneurs are if they're good ideas, um, good systems change changing ideas and they're not getting funded um it's, it's it's something you hear again and again i'm also mindful of i, I guess of the governance aspects of this because the other side of the coin I, I guess is if you suddenly hear of bill gates putting you know a billion dollars or some vast sum into systems change initiatives you know how do you ensure that they are for the greater good and who gets to you know uh say who's involved and and the kind of outcomes and particularly when you're you know many of the social entrepreneurs i interview are are, are, you know working in africa working in asia and and so forth and there are issues you know about cultural you know the local cultures and 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 some you know certainly you hear of you know these profit making profit seeking social entrepreneurs coming into certain ecosystems and things like that and you you know that that doesn't always work out for the better Hmm. well so um in most cases, like every maybe five percent of the system change strategies that come out of a globalizer program um, rely heavily as a main as a main element on on some sort of money making scheme, like some sort of business model. Like the vast majority really focuses on on other means. Like, uh, and so I. I would make a difference here between the, the money makers who, who find a way to, to earn something and then don't don't take proper precautions. That might actually be a danger, but but the vast majority of systems entrepreneurs don't do that anyway. And so it's more of a question of you know do you tread lightly enough? Do you have enough people in your coalition? Do you get enough feedback to prevent these kinds of um, unintended consequences as we talked about before? Um, regarding these really big initiatives and. And these issues that the Bill Gates Foundation might have. So first of all, I mean, these are real issues, right? So you need to take them into account. You can't just you can't just say, look, I have the money and the means and the networks and the convening power to change the system, so I just do it. And no questions asked, no responsibility taken. That's that's probably going to result in some sort of drama. Um, but the opposite is not true either, right? So it's not like every change needs to be democratically legitimized. Um, Like, change can happen in in different ways, and it's not always that we need to take a vote. On the contrary, sometimes the political, like, the the systems that came about, that that were created by democracies, are the very thing that are the problem, right? You can think about, um, like, how the US is, is organizing the criminal justice system right now. I mean, there are a lot of fellows working against that, um, and if, if they had to rely on democratic majorities, then the system would probably just, you know, keep operating the way it does in perpetuity. Um, and so it's we need to we need to say yes, it's it's okay for for civil society to trigger some system changes, like out of itself, and also and that others need to happen in the political sphere. Um, but that whoever is tinkering with systems should be should tread lightly and 
yeah, and with humility. Yes, I, I know in the little bit in the field of uh, family systems therapy and things like that, that when a therapist gets involved, he becomes they become part of the system <laughs> and exactly. they have this kind of monitoring process so that when somebody gets involved in a particular system that they there's somebody there watching how a how the system changes but b how this person then becomes part of the system and it, it you know to what extent is there a monitoring is that a, an idea that you know that that organizations that uh, over time are getting involved in systems um are, 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 do you provide any do you see the 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 uh, people who come out of the globalizer program over over periods of time or how does that work huh. That is that's a really great idea, I think, for an ecosystem initiative, like some sort of white paper on on how to monitor your role in the system now that you became a part of it, or how to make sure that you avoid um, certain unintended consequences by by not treading lightly enough or by not getting the right kind of feedback on a regular basis. I think this could be a nice thing that uh, that could be published by a consortium of players who support system change. Yes. Yes. I suppose it's just that, that awareness that you are now in the system and therefore that does change things. And, you know, just questions about that. I don't know. I just seen it in another domain and I was curious to know, um, you know, w whether something like that would be interesting. But I really like the idea. And it's, it's something that could help professionalize the sector as we engage more uh, on the topic of system change and as we become aware of of where the dangers lie and, and how unintended consequences keep happening. Yes. Um, I think right now we might not even have, like, uh, as for family therapy, I would I would guess that um, this didn't this wasn't the first thing that the profession developed. Uh, it needed some time actually doing family therapy before this these kinds of standards and procedures and checklists evolved. Yes. But yes. yeah, this is something that that we should actually look into. Yes, I guess it's interesting that that there are so many domains where this. Uh, systems change ideas are around and as you say it's, you know trying to see whether which are applicable and what lessons from other uh domains may or may not be i'm wondering also about um so anyone listening to this who's a social entrepreneur who's keen to has got a particular uh, area of interest something that really moves them something they want to uh try and and, and move the needle and help and so forth what w questions would you get them to ask, you know self-evaluate to see whether or not uh, in the first instance whether they have the right kind of skills personality uh you know uh, to, to, to do that role um so if you if we're talking about the people like the individuals so the, the social entrepreneurs as individuals then um i would be looking at at three qualities in particular, and that's the first is systems thinking, as you mentioned. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not the biggest issue in the end, but it really helps. Um, and it's also a technical skill. So if you if you don't think you're a good systems thinker yet, you can just you can get better at it. You can train it. It's no problem. It's it's like it's like web design. You you read a couple of books, you do a couple of exercises. It's just something you get better at over time. Uh, the second thing I would look at is your ambition. So, do you actually want to change something on a systems level, and why? What what motivates you, and is it the right kind of motivation? Uh, does it come out of a of a feeling of of wholeness, or like belonging to to a bigger picture that you want to make more healthy, 
or is it just the next iteration of heropreneurship where you you want to be the one who tipped the system or something along those lines? Um, and then finally, I would look at the quality that we call openness, and that's um, how willing are you to give up control? How how good are you at keeping your ego in check when it comes to, to your role as a social entrepreneur? How willing are you to give others the spotlight, share resources, um, give up decision-making power in uh, a coalition or a network of actors? Um, and and this last quality seems to be a bit, I don't know, like like soft or psychological or esoteric even, but it, we, we feel more and more that this is actually the critical bottleneck uh, for many social entrepreneurs. It's in in essence, it's the personal development side um, that needs to be that needs to also be in place alongside your impact strategy. Very interesting. Very interesting. What does the future hold for Globalizer and for you, Odin? <laughs> well, let's see. So, um, we are going to keep uh, working with social entrepreneurs from around the world to help them develop strategies for system change because that's the basis, like that's where we learn what can work and um, where the dangers might be and, and how to do these things. But then I think what we are going to do more is, um, is engage more with other players in the ecosystem to spread this idea of system change, to convince funders that this is a good idea, to maybe even help them figure out which initiatives they could be funding. Um, at Ashoka Germany, um, we we gave ourselves this, this goal to be like on all the major conferences uh, in the ecosystem to just to just talk about this topic so that more people have heard about it and can can discuss it. Like right now, right now we need to do some field building um, before we can do the big initiatives. Um, yes. Yeah, we'll do whatever we can to make that happen more more quickly. Well, I wish you the very best of success with your work, Odin. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and, and, and talk about the great work you're doing and help us understand more about the vital role of systems change, social entrepreneurs. Thank you for those kind, wor kind words and thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.